0: I'm ready to work, was all I said to Will the next morning. I had woken up feeling powerful. That's odd, I thought. I sat up in my tent with all senses sharp, like I was pulling from a new power source that I'd never tapped before. My body felt sleek and nimble, like an acrobat. My thoughts were hyper-aware. Gobs of cerebral fat had been acid-washed away, leaving me with the mental and physical lucidness. Did my brain and body just shed its skin? It wasn't my life force that had been draining from my wrists, it was the gummy fog of the city, and now I was flayed open and never more alive. I was again reminded of Dante's Inferno, where his quest for heaven takes him through the depths of hell. Yesterday I had gone into the bottom of darkness, and today I had woken into razor brilliance. Well, we can use someone to sledge in the spire bases of the promenade, said Will. The spires are wooden lampposts that flank the promenade that leads from the center of the city to the man. They're demonic and spiky and look to be made of matchsticks. There are now almost 400 of them throughout Black Rock City, but in 96 there were just 16. The bases that hold them up are anchored to the playa by four concrete form stakes that are pounded in with a sledgehammer. This was carny work for sure. I can do that, I said. I was a bit more prepared than yesterday, but not by much. I had some sunblock and a few power bars, so I jumped into the flatbed with Will. Jason had already gone off to help Crimson put up the colored flags on posts that were to delineate the four cardinal points of the city, each quadrant becoming its own neighborhood. I was not used to working alone, but this time it seemed right. It was just Will and I in the trucks, so this time I was able to avoid the breakfast griddle flatbed. Will didn't say much. He seemed a man that would get to know you on the merits of time. How refreshing to be with a person that was comfortable with silence. I liked him already. We rolled out onto the playa, away from the camps, and the world flattened to the horizons once again. We passed the dark scene of yesterday, where I fell off the truck, and went onward to where a man would soon be standing. A pyramid of hay bales was stacked there. This was ground zero. Will stopped the truck next to the last spire base that I had gotten tossed, and we got out. Today was the same as yesterday, with no clouds and any lootable sun. Crimson gave me a cowboy hat that morning. With temps still over a hundred, a wide-brimmed hat was as essential as water. Will gave a brief explanation of how the spires were to be set, 30 feet wide on either side of the promenade, to set its width and space 100 feet apart between man and center camp. I was lay them out, get them in line, and hammer them in. You think you got this? Will asked. I was pretty well muscled from years of lifting weights, so I wasn't a stranger to heavy lifting, but this? Yeah, I got it, I said. Will went back to the truck and pulled off a 12-pound sledgehammer, a canteen of water, and a 100-foot tape measure. He'd laid them on my feet and said... I'll check in on you later. I would be using that same 12-pound sledge for seasons to come. It was the one I was swinging 20 years later when that little rain cloud showed up. Setting the spires at the promenade would be the first of many rituals to come for me. This is a story of how a ritual is born. I watched Will's vanishing truck as I stood in the silence. Nothing is as quiet as a windless playa. I may as well have been alone on a planet. I guess I should wrap my head around this, I thought. I stepped to what looked like the center line between the haystacks and the shimmer of center camp and stretched the tape measure 15 feet to the right. I set the spire base there, picked up a form stake, and started tapping it into the anchor slot on the side of the base with the sledge. It had a beautiful sound to it, like a ringing bell. I started swinging, missing a few times, but warming up quickly, the hammer feeling solid in my hands. My muscles were startled into a wonderful ache, and I started sweating with new vigor. What was I feeling? I couldn't quite put a finger on it, but it seemed like my forces were aligning, like a camera lens was focusing vitality up from a mysterious core. Could it be that the hammer was getting lighter? It was becoming a living extension of my arms in the zen of the swing, and instead of getting tired, I was getting stronger. Coming so close to death the day before was making it tremendous to be alive. I worked through the morning, pounding in base after base. I was in full sweat now, my skin glistening in the sun. I felt like a beautiful machine. I felt energized and validated. I felt like a man. If only my father could see me now, I thought. Then it happened. I stopped swinging for a moment with my face wide open. Beams of light were cracking through a dark cellar in my mind. It was filling me with fresh rage. I shut my mouth and ground my teeth into a set jaw. I picked up the sledge and swung on the next stake with a lifetime of regret behind it. The stake drilled deep into the playa, which was now my soul, piercing through the rusty locks that I had built around an injurious memories of my childhood. My lifelong search for my father ended with that hammer strike forever. My father had abandoned us when I was a little boy, still hiding behind my mother's skirt. I only had a few memories of him, and after thirty years, the ones that prevailed was his disappointment in me. I was not the proud wolf pup that he had hoped for. It poured a platform of self-doubt and guilt that I'd build a lifetime of compunction on. That dark cellar carried a declaration of self-blame for driving him away from my family, and I had been spending my adult life searching for him to show him what I had become, and now that I was feeling the true humility of manhood for the first time, feeling strong for my own sake with nothing to prove to anyone for anything, I no longer needed to seek him out. That day on the promenade, the desert cauterized that old wound for good. I sat down and wept. I cried and let the tears wash out the filth of a festered lie. I let the hatred flood down my face in a cathartic rinse, only to be startled by how quickly it became tears of joy. I had finally come to terms. Frankly, it was none of his business.
1: We travel.
0: There's a lot of struggle going on with Burning Man with the music. There's a certain ilk of music that is sort of whitewashing the entire town. The unce, unce, yeah, the boots and pants. And, and uh, the reason that is is because they have the biggest sound systems. A lot of the live music and that kind of stuff is getting buried in the mix. And so that frustrates the DPW crew a lot because that's the sort of culture that we spring from is we're, you know, we're, we're carnies and so a lot of times we'll have jug bands and handmade instruments and things like that's where we come from. So I always see that damn band play on our stage <laughs> before the event. This is the, oh, that this is the music that display. I have. Yeah, oh, awesome. It is Beautiful. that damn band. Oh, hooray. Because the, the band leader is one of my managers. He's the Spire installation manager. I've known him for years and years. His name's uh, Dylan Blackthorn on the fly.